Welcome to the podcast of Conversations with Friends, heard every week on KAOI Radio in Maui, Hawaii. Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Friends with Mary Almwake, exploring ways to live our lives more fully in this wonderful world. We welcome your calls and thoughts at 242-7800. Conversations with Friends is brought to you on KAOI by Unity of Maui, where the heart is at home. Now, here's your host, Mary Almwake. Good morning, Maui. James Jacobson sitting in with you this 4th of July. How is everyone doing? Mary is, of course, still in India, in Dar Salaam, India, with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And we have not heard from her yet, but we know that she is doing well and sends her love and is bringing warm aloha to a part of the world that probably has a lot of its own type of aloha. This is the 4th of July, a very special day across America, and here in Hawaii we get to celebrate it later than everyone else does because of the time zone. And uh, I think I'm going to go up country and watch the fireworks at a friend's house, but it's such a great time. Everyone feels that energy of the 4th of July, and it's a great time to remember how lucky we are, especially to live in this most blessed place on earth, at least from my perspective, here in Maui, Hawaii. We have two wonderful guests today. We're going to be talking a little bit about meditation and enlightenment in our first half hour, and then we're going to be talking about enlightening media and how we have the ability to turn the attention and focus of the media on our own special projects, um, which is an important thing, especially those folks who are out there doing good work, who write books or have projects that want to be promoted to the media, we're going to be talking to an expert on how to make that possible and get your message out to the world. But our first guest is Stephen Bodian. Stephen, are you with us? I'm there. I'm how there. are you doing? Uh, fine. Doing great. Thank you, James. Yeah. He is the, you are the um, author of the best-selling book, um, Meditation for Dummies. Uh, yes, I had yes. to pause about that because I wasn't sure if it was which which one it was on which which of the uh, meditation books because you know there's the idiots guy there's the medit right, there's the dummies exactly. and how did you and and how did you get into um, writing a book like that? Uh, well, uh, I've been meditating for 35 years. You know, I, I was a Zen monk for uh, 10 years. Uh, meditation was an integral part of my life for for most of my adult life. And I was the editor of Yoga Journal for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, after I left, um, someone I had worked with who was a, um, a book agent uh, called me. Actually, it's an interesting story. And said, uh, can you tell me the uh, phone number of Daniel Goleman, who's, of course, a very well-known writer for the New York Times and an expert on Buddhism. And I'd like him to write a book uh, called Meditation for Dummies. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't know his phone number, but I'd be happy to write it. And so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was a wonderful experience. It took me about a year, and I brought together all my many years of meditation uh, background uh, to, to bear on the book. That's awesome. What year did that book come out? It came out in 1999, and it just came out in a uh, new, updated, and revised edition in 2006 with an instructional CD. Awesome. Well, meditation is hot. You may not know this, but I wrote a, a best-selling book as well called How to Meditate with Your Dog. Uh-huh. Have oh, you seen wonderful. that? And uh, we have a sequel coming out this year, How to Meditate with Your Cat. Uh-huh. And the, obviously the key behind those is really to get people to you know, introduce folks to meditation in, 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 in a non-dogmatic, very simplistic way, which is what you do in your books. In fact, one of the things that you very much focus on these days is the non-dogma of meditation. Yes, indeed. In fact, when I teach meditation these days, I don't teach a, a particular technique, really my understanding of meditation now, after so many years of practicing it, and I, it's sort of like I offer a shortcut to people, rather than going through all that I went through over the years, it's really about being open and present for what is. Mm-hmm. And so when I teach a meditation weekend, which I do from time to time, that isn't my focus these days, um, I will really just teach the practice of being present, open, just sitting without manipulating the mind, without a particular technique, um, but really just sitting and being. That's the emphasis. Have you noticed, um, you've been doing, you, you, you were a Zen monk for about 10 years. 
Yes, and spent many hours facing a wall, uh, you know, following my breathing. <laughs> Have you found that there is a greater acceptance of this, well, I call it a non-dogmatic approach, but basically a non-rigid approach to meditation? Hard to tell. You know, I, I think there's still a lot of people out there who are doing the techniques mm-hmm. in, in a very routine kind of way. And we're talking about things like, you know, that, 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 that do have some rigidity to them, things like yeah. transcendental meditation. Yeah, yeah, reciting a mantra or following your breathing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, can't, I, you know, I can't say that these don't have value. And, and I think that people who do them, you know, often get tremendous value out of them. And there's a lot of research, as I cited in my book, to show that there are you know, tremendous health benefits and uh, you know, personal uh, benefits in terms of appreciation and enjoyment of life that one gets from these. Um, I, I think the, the drawback is that it gives you a, a sense that um, waking up, um, you know, discovering who we really are, is a progressive path that has to go through stages uh, and we have to get someplace that we aren't already. Mm-hmm. And what I'm teaching now is that uh, this is it, essentially. You know, this life, this moment, this now, this ineffable, uh, you know, uh, ungraspable now is who we are, is what we have. And that really the best approach to meditation uh, in terms of awakening is to sit and be open to what is. Just to receive the kind of the, the, the gratitude approach. Well, gratitude is one of the things that arises when we are open to what is. Absolutely. How have you noticed your attitudes shift over the years towards meditation? Well, uh, you know, again, for years I did very, you know, I guess you'd call it rigid, but very mm-hmm. formulized uh, approaches to meditation, primarily in the Zen tradition. And then uh, I, I met a teacher uh, named Jean Klein after I had you know, stopped being a monk who was a teacher of Advaita Vedanta, which is a Hindu tradition. Right. And um, when I met him, uh, you know, I wasn't looking for a new teacher, and certainly not one who wasn't a Buddhist. But when I met him, I realized, you know, this is a, a really uh, awakened, enlightened person, more so than any of the Zen teachers I'd ever met. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study with him. And his approach was to say, don't meditate. <laughs> so it's the other. The other. You know, he said, meditation is like a laboratory, and the only reason to go into the laboratory of meditation is to discover, to discover the meditator, discover who is it who's meditating. So he said, don't make meditation a habit. You know, don't get in the habit of going there in order to get, you know, a certain kind of state of mind and to experience certain things. Uh, he said, use it as an opportunity or an invitation to awaken to the one who is experiencing. And, that, and then it becomes a mirror in that respect. A mirror, beautiful yeah. way to describe it. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who says that he meditates every day except the days he doesn't meditate. Which, uh, is, exactly. which, which is a great <laughs> right. way of looking at it, right? Yeah, exactly. Now you, so that's how I meditate now. Yeah. I that's meditate it. every day except the days I don't. Exactly. <laughs> I, I do too. Although I do want people to meditate 10 minutes a day. What is the, um, you mentioned the word enlightenment. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, there, there are different ways of looking at enlightenment. Uh, on one level, uh, enlightenment is who we are already. It's our natural state. We that, come in We come in that way? In a sense, we come in that way. You know, that sense of open, innocent, wakeful awareness, you know, radiance, you know, without any shadow, you could say. And, um, but we, of course, lose that over time as we get conditioned to believe that we're a separate somebody with all kinds of uh, problems and difficulties and attributes, and we develop a self-image that kind of clouds our essential nature. Um, so in, in that sense, on the one hand, innately, enlightenment is who we are. We already are that radiant, essential being, that divine nature. Uh, on the other hand, though, we, we tend to be um, asleep to it. So on that level, uh, enlightenment is awakening to what we always have been. You know, when you say we're asleep, we're, so we, you were born enlightened, and we're, but we're asleep to it. Is it because gook is layered upon <laughs> us as we go through life? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's uh, a traditional metaphor: is a sun obscured, the sun of being obscured by clouds. You know, the sun is always shining, 
Yeah. So it's never not shining. It's just obscure. But, of course, the clouds come and obscure the sun so that we can't see it. So, essentially, we're, we're wanting to be able to recognize the sun of our essential nature uh, free from the clouds. So, uh, you know, we can have a direct awakening of the, uh, to that without getting rid of all the gunk. It can happen in any moment, in an instant. Right. Uh, and then, uh, then generally what happens is after we've awakened, which is what we'll be doing this um, coming up in this weekend, mm-hmm. um, you know, inviting that awakening, once we've awakened, then generally we start addressing the gunk that's in the way of our living that, you know, being uh, aware of that uh, from moment to moment. And that's, and that's the process that you call effortless awakening. It's effortless. Yeah. And that's why I say you don't have to, you know, put all this effort on your cushion <laughs> going through all these years of meditation to wake up. You can wake up right now, and, and we'll be inviting that experience uh, on Friday night and Saturday. Well, Stephen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to find out a little bit about this program, this workshop that you're conducting over the weekend here in Maui. The guest we're speaking with is Stephen Bodian. He is the author of Meditation for Dummies. I'm James Jacobson. We'll be right back. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. Do you dream of owning a home or consolidating debt with the refinance? Hawaii's premier mortgage company can make your dream of owning your home in paradise a reality, or they can help in the refinance of your existing home with their experience guaranteed lowest rates, exceptional customer service, and a little magic. Premier Mortgage can get you a home loan to fit your needs. To find out about Hawaii's premier mortgage various loan programs, call Trisha Morris and the Magicians at either office location. Call Premier Mortgage in Kihei at 874-8800 or in West Maui, call 665-8800. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. We are speaking with Stephen Bodian. Am I pronouncing that name correctly? Uh, perfectly, James. Oh, Great. Okay, yeah. good, because at first it has a very French sound, so I thought, Stéphane Bodian. But we won't, even, we won't even try to confuse we won't go it. There, no. It's Stephen Bodian. <laughs> now, where do you live? Uh, I'm living on Maui right now. You live on Maui. I didn't yeah. realize that. Um, you are conducting a workshop this weekend. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing a Friday night, uh, 7 to 9, 7.15 to 9.15, actually, and then all day on Saturday. And, and as I mentioned, the, the, the Friday evening is what's called satsang. Uh, satsang means literally being together in truth. Right. Uh, so it's a gathering of people, uh, and I'll be doing... Um, a talk and then dialogues with people and what we'll, we'll be doing uh, is pointing directly to this ineffable true nature of ours this divine nature this spiritual nature that we don't generally put much attention on you know usually we're paying a lot of attention to the contents of our experience you know, uh-huh. what, what we're getting and here we're going to be focusing on that that timeless presence uh, that we are uh, and that will be really an invitation to awaken uh, to that presence uh, for each one of us. Now, you call it a Zen satsang. What is the difference between that and a more a, a, a different type of satsang? Well, I guess you could say the difference is that uh, my background is Zen. Okay. And, and we will, during the day on Saturday, we will be doing some quiet sitting. Hmm. Again, without technique, but we'll be sitting quietly... Um, just being present for what is, uh, and um, as well as dialoguing and um, and my giving some talks. Uh, traditionally, satsang is is uh, someone talking and then uh, dialogues. Uh, the way I like to do it um, with the dialogues is to have people come up if they if they're inclined and actually work with me face to face. It's a very intimate uh, opportunity. Uh, to uh, ask the questions, the deepest questions that you have. Did you conduct one of these several years ago at the Maui Writers Conference in a morning session? 
No, I didn't, oh, well, but well, I, well. I have done satsang on Maui before, okay. and, and intensives, yes. I thought you had, because I, I was remembering something in it, and I thought it might have been you. Yes, I have over the years. I, St- Stephen, have you, have you, when you talk about this power of bringing people together and sitting together, or being in meditation together, what what do you think is the power about that? What is I mean, I, I, I usually say it's an ineffable energy, but let's try to put some words to it. You could say it's the power of presence. Um, Eckhart Tolle uses that word, mm-hmm. and I've, I've uh, actually used that word for many years as well. Um, when ke- people come together who are dedicated to truth and dedicated to awakening, there's a quality of energy which is very powerful and supportive of awakening taking place. Um, you know, Jesus said, when two or more of you are gathered in my name, right? So when we're gathered together in truth, that quality of presence is really palpable. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, the, the quality of, uh, you know, my, the presence that I bring and that we all bring through the amount of awakening that we each have uh, is really an encouragement because it's, it's really about that. It's something beyond the mind that each one of us has to experience for ourselves. It's, the words don't do justice. No, no it's, it's something ineffable. Absolutely. They, they, re- they really are something special, and that's why I like to encourage people to meditate with you know, their pet or with their loved one or yes, just basically yes. connect in such a way with others through the process, and that energy is really multiplied. Absolutely. There's no question about it. At what have you discovered um, over the years is, is the leading um, falsehood or, or misbelief or myth about meditation? Well, the, there are a number of myths. Um, one of them is that um, there's a right way to do it, and I could be doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are often saying, am I doing it right? Uh, yeah. And there's a tendency to, to scrutinize and monitor the meditation to make sure I'm doing it right. There really is no Espe- right Especially way to... in the Zen tradition where you were. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> where people walk around with sticks making with... sure you are doing it right. <laughs> yes. It's a very well-healed meditation. Uh, that's right. Yeah, so that's you've right. come a long way. Okay, so there, so there's the myth that I'm not doing it right. Yes, and again, there's the myth that there's, there's some place to go. Yeah. And if I just do it long enough, yeah. and you know, I remember back in my Zen days, uh, you know, how many years have you meditated? Oh, I've meditated five years. Oh, I've meditated ten years, you know, comparing notes. Yeah. Um, whereas, it's, in it's, fact... It's, it sounds I like say, a pretty male-oriented way of looking at it. Yes, you could say yes. Yeah. yes. So there's that. And then when people begin a meditation practice, what is the what, what advice do you give them just when they're starting out and they have those, I can't meditate, all these thought, random thoughts come into my head? Um, to, not to struggle. Um, meditation is a natural balance of rela- relaxation and alertness. Mm-hmm. If you tend to be on the overly laid-back side, then you might need to bring a certain amount of alertness, you know, know, kind of lean on that side a bit. Mm -hmm. If you tend to be a little tense and, you know, over-effortful, then it's important to relax. Um, But I would say the main thing is to relax. What is your meditation practice like? How do you do? Do you do it every morning? Except the mornings Uh, you don't. That's right. Uh, I do it when I, I feel inclined. Okay. Uh, is it a morning? But do you, is it a morning thing for you, or an evening? Or it or, depends. Yeah. Uh, often morning. Uh, mornings and evenings are, you know, clearly the best times mm-hmm. to sit quietly, um, because of the quieter times or less engaged in activity. But generally, I, um, you know, having o- awakened to who I am, I just sort of sit and you know, sort of abide in it. You could say, um, you know, allow uh, awareness to to abide in itself. Hard to describe, but there's a kind of a deepening and uh, enriching that happens. I mean, it's a very joyful experience. What would you liken it to? Um, what would I liken it to? Yeah. Um, meditation is like... Um, meditation could be like a swim in the ocean. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a good way of relating it to folks here in Maui. Absolutely. Yeah. A swim in the warm ocean, being bathed in the ocean of ourselves, you know. But at, at the deepest level, every cell of the being being bathed in the, the love and the presence that we are. 
if someone's driving around the island right now, Steve, and they're, they're listening to you and they think, you know, meditation is something I've always been interested in. What takeaway would you like to leave folks with about why they might want to come by uh, and, and come to your workshop this weekend? Well, again, the, the, the workshop doesn't focus on meditation. It focuses on awakening, although we will be uh, meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, the value of just being in the presence of awakeness itself with other people, there's nothing quite like that. Um, it's not the same as spiritual experiences you know, that we might have, getting high in various ways. It's really about awakening to what we are mm-hmm. and uh, it's a change a shift in identity and um, it's like nothing else Stephen Bodian thank you so much for being with us today oh thank you so much James it's been a pleasure it's been great talking to you great when we come back we're going to be speaking with Joel Roberts we're going to turn from meditation to the media I'm James Jacobson and this is Conversations with Friends Conversations with Friends with Murray Omwick is a presentation of Unity on Maui We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. Do you dream of owning a home or consolidating debt with the refinance? Hawaii's premier mortgage company can make your dream of owning your home in paradise a reality, or they can help in the refinance of your existing home with their experience guaranteed lowest rates, exceptional customer service, and a little magic. Premier Mortgage can get you a home loan to fit your needs. To find out about Hawaii's premier mortgage various loan programs, call Trisha Morris and the magicians at either office location. Call Premier Mortgage in Kihei at 874-8800 or in West Maui, call 665-8800. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson, and we are speaking with Joel Roberts, who is coming to town. He is, oh, what do we say, a host from KBC, former host from KBC Radio in Los Angeles. and But he's not talking to us about talk. He's talking to us about how we can turn the power of our projects and books and everything that we do that is sacred to us and bring it to the media in a way that the media will listen to us. And that's an important thing. Good morning, Joel. How are you? Good morning. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Do you find that um, people have this whole mystique about getting on the media as it's it's a difficult thing to do? It is a difficult thing to do in some ways. And it's a really easy thing to do in some ways. All the years that I was a broadcaster on KBC in Los Angeles, I was often really disappointed to see that so many deserving people did not make it onto our airwaves mm-hmm. because they didn't know how to pitch our producers properly. And they never even got a chance to make a second mistake, which would be delivering an interview that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um I was privileged to co-host a primetime shift on KABC in L.A. with my old friend and former partner, Steve Edwards. And uh, a lot of times in the production office there, there would be piles of books from people who had written really marvelous stuff. How to Meditate with Your Dog, for example. I hear that's a good book. I hear it's a wonderful book. And one of my aspirations in life is to be your dog. Well, she lives a very good life. I must say I that have, my, I... my puppy lives a very good life. Now, that's an example of a book that we, you know, I, we'll, we'll talk about this. We'll make this a very personal experience. And we also want to take your calls at 242-7800. So if you have a project, a book idea, a business, something that you'd like some insight from a media pro about how to position it to get it exposed either on these airwaves or <clears throat> airwaves Outside of Maui. Or the Today Show. Or the Today Show. Call us at uh, 242-7800. So that's a book that, that that just came out last October, and we have been deluged with media. I do about two radio shows a day from yeah. from Maui, which means I have to get up at 2 or 3 in the morning and do it. And we've done that and pitched that ourselves. It's a great hook. And the thing is, as I was saying before, sometimes in our production office, I would see literally piles of books. And I would say to one of our producers, we had two full-time producers, why didn't we put that person on the air, let alone all the other non-literary projects? Right. I mean, you know, eight million things out there. And they would say, oh, God, you should have read the pitch. 
horrible mm-hmm. pitch, or you should have heard the publicist, or, you know, we pre-interviewed them on the phone, and they're not really appropriate for our airwaves. And it it kind of broke my heart to see that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that I do these days is to take the secrets of getting on in prime time and delivering a great interview when you get there mm-hmm. and showing them to people so that they have a much better chance to get the broadest possible forum for their work. And I've had eight zillion people, you know, get on major shows. I mean, the Today Show, Good Morning America, Larry King Live, 2020, 60 Minutes, to say nothing of the innumerable radio shows. And a lot of these people never thought they would get near a forum like that. Well, you said the P word, publicist. Isn't yeah. it all about just p- paying a publicist and they'll get they'll get me on the show? No. It doesn't work that way? No. And I yeah. have a feeling you already know that. I do know that. I, I hired one of the best publicists in the world who works for one of the people who's on your sheet. I mean, the people who who uh, Joel has coached are amazing. Uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Harv Eckert, Kenny Loggins, very famous people. And one of those people I just mentioned uh, has a publicist, and I thought, well, I'll hire that person. That has to be the best Useless, totally useless. Yeah. Because that publicist actually couldn't spin, couldn't, couldn't pitch, couldn't do it in such a way. So you don't actually need to pay someone $5,000 a month, a retainer, to do it. You can do it yourself if you know how. If you know how. And, and that's what you talk about. You obviously, yes, it's half of what we talk about. Our workshop is really designed, well, it's actually evolved a bit. See, you're a great example of this because you are good at pitching yourself, right? You're probably better at pitching yourself than anyone is at pitching you, I would imagine. I don't think, I think everyone is better at promoting them their own material because you really believe in it you know the value of it there are two sides to that coin really uh having a really top-notch publicist call on your behalf Mm -hmm. does lend a certain cachet to people on the other hand you're right no one is more steeped in your material than you are no one knows it better no one's more passionate about it you have a natural sense of humor i was reading through your book i've been listening to you on the air that's great you've got a lot of qualities that play very well not everybody does but a lot of people who don't have those qualities actually have a great contribution to make to our you know national international conversation mm-hmm. out there so there's no hard and fast rule when it comes to publicity but what i would say is this when I first created the Excellence in Media Workshop, I wanted it to do two things. I wanted to show people, A, how to attract the attention of the media, mm-hmm. how to pitch and position yourself, and B, how to deliver killer interviews once you get there. Mm. Now, the thing is this. In order to successfully pitch and position yourself, you've got to know a lot, all under the category of how we broadcasters think. If we had two full-time producers at KBC Radio whose sole job was to sift through 40 or 50 pitches a day from people like you and decide which three we're going to get on the air, Mm -hmm. it really helps to know how we think. Mm -hmm. So half of our workshop is about the media mentality, and the other half is really about how to deliver the great interview. Once you get in front of the microphone. Once you get in front of the mic. But even that, oddly enough, is now only half of what we do. Because what's the other third half? The third half is this. See, you're right. The half the the workshop was originally designed only to show people about the media, how to get on, how to be great. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age, in the communications culture in the United States, you have got to master media techniques for non-media arenas as well. If you want to sell a product, a service any concept, you have got to be able to speak in sound bites. Mm. If you want to be a, an effective fundraiser for your nonprofit, if you want to be a great attorney making a closing statement, if you want to recruit venture capital for your business, if you want to get partners in your business, if you want Walmart to carry your product, you have got to be able to speak media ease whether you ever are going to go on a talk show or not. Mm-hmm. So the broader application of what we do, the non-media application of our media principles, run simultaneously through the whole work. So it's really an understanding of rhetoric. Yeah. And being able to do elevator pitches and being able to articulate Mm -hmm. it in such a way that they are applicable whether you're in front of uh, the powerful KAOI microphones or if you're just if you're just presenting to uh, friends or, or if you're delivering a sales presentation. Any place where the stakes are high and the moment is brief. Mm -hmm. Any place where you do have to nail that elevator pitch. Any place where you've got to write a shorter memo on why a longer memo is necessary. What's that famous expression? I I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Commonly attributed to Mark Twain, 
That's great. Turns out it's not him. It's not him. It's well, not him. So many, see, the media just has this power know, to compound know, things. And, and, and I've been using this. it for years, yeah. too, so we're both busted here. The line is, if I'd had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter. And it's not Mark Twain. Who said no. it? Uh, so we can't do Justin. We don't know. <laughs> Pascal. Pa- really? Yes. So it does go back quite a bit. It goes back a little bit. The guy who did the uh, math know. formula. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I always thought, by the way, that Samuel Goldwyn said, if you don't have, if you can't write your idea on the back of my business card, you don't have a clear idea. Yeah. Turns out I was wrong about him, too. It was Pascal. <laughs> it was a producer named David Belasco. Wow. Well, so, Joel, you're helping us understand, uh, that the media really has, because these things are perpetuated by the media. And so if you can harness it and use it, to promote your good projects, your good books, your good business, whatever it is you have, uh, or your charity, you really have a, a, a platform to let the world know about it. The world belongs to people who can do this. Yeah. The world belongs to people who can nail it in a soundbite. They get the broader invitation to speak at greater length. Have you found that a lot of people say, I, I, I'm scared. I, I, I just couldn't do this. I, I, how, how, you know, I don't know. And then they start getting in, they get tongue tied. Yeah. Let they, me tell you, let me tell you a true story about that. Guy comes to our workshop in LA who had written a book called Prostate Health in 90 Days Without Surgery or Drugs. He had been diagnosed twice with prostate cancer mm-hmm. and had cured himself both times mm-hmm. without surgery or drugs. Pretty powerful message. Got to tell you, James, this was not anyone's idea of a dyed-in-the-wool extrovert. Yeah. Okay? Right. Talk about being afraid. Yeah. Terror is really the better word for it. Larry was his name. He came through the workshop. All two days, walked out of there scratching his head saying, I don't really think I got this. One week later, I get a call from him on his cell phone at very high volume as he's ecstatically driving down the freeway in L.A. saying, I just booked myself on the Today Show. Wow. Seven minutes on the weekend Today Show. Amazing. His publisher had to scramble for months to fill the increase in the sales of his book. Mm -hmm. This was a guy who was terrified of the media, who was completely convinced he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, is that fear common? Mm -hmm. Can it be overcome? I think so. And how do you help people overcome it? We get them to experience it and work with it in the workshop. We put people in front of the room. You know, I do simulations of on-air, Yeah. Uh, whether it's the Today Show, Four Minutes with Matt Lauer or Katie Couric, who, of course, is moving to CBS, yeah. or whether it's a true talk radio format where we have the other attendees of the workshop call into the show, so to speak, and fire questions at the guest. Mm-hmm. We really provide the most realistic simulation of what it's actually like to be there mm-hmm. in America. And people find after a while, like, hey, you know, nobody's biting me. I can handle those. Now, you've worked with some pretty famous people. Yeah, a lot of them. Give us an example and an anecdote from, from those, if you can share. Yeah, well, I'm the official media coach for Chicken Soup for the Soul, which has sold 115 million books. And so when you think of it, it's not just Mark uh, and Jack. There's a lot of authors, all these co-authors. Oh, God, yeah, exactly. Every volume. You know, there are like 80-something volumes. Right. Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul, Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul, Chicken Soup for the Bride-to-Be Soul, Chicken Soup for the... I think there's going to be Chicken Soup for the Black Welsh Trade Unionist Soul <laughs> in a fairly short period of time. they got a lot of souls out there. They, there's certainly a lot of souls, yeah, in that, and their they, goal is to sell a billion books. Well, a billion dollars worth anyway. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So I've done a ton with them, and I've been very honored and privileged to be their official <clears throat> media coach. But everybody can learn a lot from our experience with Chicken Soup. Let's take a couple of examples. You wanted anecdotes. Yeah. Hmm. Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul, co-edited by Jack Canfield's sister, whose name is Kimberly Kerberger. Now, she came to me when I was working with her, and she said, I can't wait to go out there and talk to all those teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I said, honey, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're looking to talk to the teenagers, they're not the ones listening to talk radio, and they're not actually the ones to buy the book. Mm -hmm. So we learn two things here. Number one, you have got to address, you have to distinguish between the listening demographic or the viewing demographic and the purchasing demographic. In this case, neither of them actually are the teens. So when I was crafting the media hooks for Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul, Everything I wrote was directed toward the parents. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, 
parents out there, are you telling your teens the truth about the sex you had and the drugs you did when you were teenagers? <laughs> no. Kimberly per- Kerberger will join the conversation. No holds barred. Let's all tell the truth. That skews to the baby boomer demographic, which really is the heart of the talk show demographic. And most importantly, that talks to the producer and says this is going to be a scintillating You got it. Program. You got it. So when you are pitching that producer, you don't call and say, I want to get up there and talk to teenagers, because they'll say, that's not our demographic. Mm. Our demographic is the parents. You get up there and you say, we've got really hot shows for the parents to talk about teens. And then those parents are going to hear all about the book, and they're going to go to Barnes & Noble and Borders or Amazon and buy the book for their teenagers. Mm-hmm. We did some really, really interesting research on that book about who bought the book. I literally sat in Barnes & Noble one day with a decaf cappuccino and watched the stand of Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul. Yeah. Not a single teen bought the book, right. and they sold them out of the store. So that's one anecdote that really is illustrative of something. Another one would be from Chicken Soup for the uh, Pet Lover's Soul. Tell us. Tell us. Well, and I have a feeling you'd like this. I'm kind of interested in pet lovers, yeah. I know, I know. That's why I brought this one up for you. Um, Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover's Soul. This time they hired an outside publicist, which, by the way, I thought was a really great thing to do. Her name is Ann Solero. She's from Maine or Connecticut, somewhere in the Northeast, and really, really good. And she wrote 10 suggested interview questions that are part of any press kit, which are submitted to people like you to, you know, give you ideas to ask the guests. Right. Um, all of them were good. You know, how are pets used in psychotherapy? How are pets used in old age homes? How can raising a pet help a child become a more responsible adult, etc.? But they all tended to skew toward people who already loved pets, like James Jacobson, author of How to Meditate with Your Dog. Good book, I hear. Good book, I hear. There's only one problem with that. Maybe half my audience on KABC doesn't like pets. I am not going to write them off and donate them to our competition across town, right? Right. So I, as a strategist, I, as a media coach and strategist, or when I was behind the microphone, I, as a broadcaster had to craft things that would involve the largest possible audience. Mm -hmm. So question number one in the press kit became the hook that we used for the show was not how are pets used in psychotherapy and all this kind of stuff. It was, do people love their pets too much? Wow. Because a lot of people... Because then you get the defense, you get people being defensive and then people saying, oh, people are wasting money. You get both sides of the coin involved in the conversation, which is my job. And it was a hysterical bunch of shows, by the way. There was one woman who called up and said, I would like to point out that I have never been left in a relationship nor fired from a job by my pet. (laughs) And then some guy called up and said, exactly, her problem is she can't relate to normal human beings, which is why she has six cats. And the point of the matter is we kept the whole audience on both sides of the issue. And that makes for good talk radio. Well, I hope you're enjoying this talk radio. We're speaking with Joel Roberts. He is a media trainer. He is coming to town. He's right here in town and this weekend conducting a workshop called Excellence in Media Seminar. It's Friday and Saturday, July 7th and 8th. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, we'll take a break. This is Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. Do you dream of owning a home or consolidating debt with the refinance? Hawaii's premier mortgage company can make your dream of owning your home in paradise a reality, or they can help in the refinance of your existing home with their experience guaranteed lowest rates, exceptional customer service, and a little magic. Premier Mortgage can get you a home loan to fit your needs. To find out about Hawaii's Premier Mortgage various loan programs, call Trisha Morris and the Magicians at either office location. Call Premier Mortgage in Kihei at 874-8800 or in West Maui, call 665-8800. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. 
I'm James Jacobson. We are speaking with Joel Roberts. He's talking to us about how to leverage the media to help promote our products and services and books and things that make a difference in the world. I also want to let you know that Ram Das, the legend who lives here on Maui, is going to be speaking at Unity Church this Sunday. But we're going on the road. We're not going to be doing it at the Maui Tropical Plantation this Sunday. Instead, we're going to the Maui Beach Hotel. And instead of 10 a.m., the services will begin at 10.30 a.m. And I want to invite you to come this Sunday, 10.30 a.m., the Maui Beach Hotel. Ram Das is going to be live and in person. And uh, we were talking earlier with Stephen Bodian about a satsang. Well, Ram Das will talk to us and everyone at the uh, Unity this Sunday about whatever is on his mind, as is, as is in as is his inevitable way. I know that this is an opportunity that you won't want to miss. Join us Sunday at the Maui Beach Hotel at ten thirty for Ram Das, and then the following Sunday we will be back at the Maui Tropical Plantation at ten a.m. Joel Roberts is in the studio with us. He is a a radio pro veteran from KABC in Los Angeles. And now he goes around teaching folks how to use the media to help promote their products and services and books that make the world a better place. Joel, have you found out that that people not only get nervous when they um you know are thrust in front of a microphone, but have you found that that their mind just, you know, not only do they start speaking and their tongue gets tied, but they just don't make sense? Yeah, they are speaking in tongues. Um, How do you ever overcome that? Practice. It's just literally practice. Yeah. It's, it's it's getting in front of a microphone. Yeah. And you know, I was behind the microphone for 5,000 hours. Yeah. It no longer brings about a rise in my metabolic rate. Yeah. But is there a mindset that you, yeah, that you go through before you go on air? There really is. And, you know, number one, you have to have a tremendous command of what the core messages are that you're there to deliver. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to go on the Today Show with a flimsy sense of what your purpose is there. Yeah. But also, a lot of times people ask themselves the wrong questions before pitching themselves to the media. They ask themselves, you know, am I the best in the world? Am I the reigning expert in the culture? That's a very inhibiting question to ask yourself. You should ask yourself instead, do I have a contribution to make to the conversation? You don't have to be the greatest authority on a topic that ever lived in order to effectively contribute. So we encourage people to, in our seminar, we give them a lot of practice. We want them to practice outside of the seminar. Mm -hmm. We want them to practice with friends. We want them to do radio podunk before they do KBC Radio Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times newcomers would pitch our producers at KBC in L.A., and the producers would hear them and say, you know what, you don't want to cut your teeth here. Call us in a few months. This is prime time in the radio capital of the world. And the stakes are a little high here, and it tends to be a very cutthroat environment. Get some experience under your belt first. Yeah, go to po- go to Podunk. Yeah. Well, you we said we Beverly Sills had this thing that I think she said when she got nervous when she was out on stage, she would look out to the audience and say, "If they were better at this than I was, they'd be up here singing, and I'd be out there in the audience." You know, that reminds me of there's a great quote from John Kennedy, and I'm I'm not going to get it right, but it'll be close enough. Shortly after he was elected president, somebody said to him, Mr. President, don't you think this is an awesome responsibility? It's almost too much for any one human being. You know, you've got to handle things domestically. You've got to handle things internationally, the economy, war and peace. Isn't it just too much for anyone to handle? And he said, yeah, it is. The only thing is there's no one better to do it than me. There you go. And so you have to get that mindset knowing that. The media has invited you, and you're there to deliver. And many times what the media is looking for, or the media are looking for, is a person who um, is representative of a, of a demographic or a mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to talk in sound bites, and a sound, how do you define sound bite? I would say reducing the essence of your idea to a sentence or two. And you know, something fascinating not long ago, do you go by Jim or James, by the Both. way? Both. Both. Okay. Well, then I'll make sure that I equally distribute okay. them. Not long ago, Jim, since I've called you James previously, there was a fascinating article on CNN.com. It just knocked my socks off the minute my eyes affixed on it. It was called The CSI Effect. Hmm. And it was about how shows like CSI, CSI New York, CSI Miami have changed the way jurors want 
lawyers to argue a case to them. Okay? And here's the amazing thing. It's not only that the juries want the DNA now, you know, which makes them less likely to convict on purely circumstantial evidence. That's true. But that's not even the essence of it. The essence of it was they want attorneys to speak like those guys arguing on TV, on Boston Legal or at CSI Miami. They want the story told in sound bites. Now, here is the deal. If that media and entertainment culture has so completely pervaded the legal arena, to say nothing of the sales arena, the marketing arena, the entire culture that we live in, our feeling is you have got to master that soundbite ease in order to be effective anywhere you go. A political candidate cannot survive without it. You can't. You have to be able to be a master of of the English language. Yeah. And to talk in those sound bites, those short essences, those essential pieces. You know, my wife and I are here on the island, and we're yeah. here for three weeks and having a fantastic time. I don't know if you've seen the cover of the current mag- uh, Time magazine with Teddy Roosevelt on the cover. No. It's this wonderful I get time, but it takes a while to get to. Uh, well, this is the island. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> don't get it on Monday here. <laughs> okay. Especially not this one. I don't, yesterday was not a holiday here, though, was it? No. thought it was. No. Anyway, here's the deal. Teddy Roosevelt. One of the most popular presidents of all time, the only president of the 20th century to have his face etched into the side of Mount Rushmore, right? right? If he were alive today, he would have to completely change the way he spoke to people. He used to run around the country on trains, you know, and deliver these big orations. He didn't have to speak in sound bites the way we do today, he although had, he, he had could. The bu- he had the bully pulpit. He, had the bu- he invented the phrase bully, bully pulpit. pulpit. Yeah. He in- invented the phrase tossing my hat into the arena. Uh, he invented the phrase walk softly and carry a big stick. Those are sound bites, which is good. But he also had the wider attention span of the general public who would give him an hour or an hour and a half at some railroad station. Mm -hmm. while he delivered his oratory. Mm -hmm. Today, he'd have to revamp what he did. He would have to have a great 90 seconds first in order to get the hour and a half. Mm. So what uh, practical advice do you give folks if if they work for a nonprofit or if they're starting a business? Or I know a lot of people who listen to this radio show have a book or a book in them. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you give people who are just starting out with this idea that, well, maybe I need to learn more about how to harness the power of sound bites and the media? First of all, let's talk about authors. Okay. Um, As you know, having been very successful at marketing your own book, the days of the ivory tower writer are over. They're done. Mm-hmm. It is not enough to simply write a great book. You have done more than write a. Haven't you been on David Letterman? We've done. We've done Letterman. Well, we've we've done a lot of media. Yeah. Okay, great. And you sold a ton of books. We've sold a lot of books. I'd like to sell more. Right, but please would- go to dogmeditation.com and buy a book. No. <laughs> Uh, repeat that, please. I didn't <laughs> please play. go to www.dogmeditation.com and uh, check it out. Or go to Borders. Or go to Borders. Yeah. I, I would like to do your commercials for you if you like. Okay. <laughs> See, what we're doing this. Wait, we were live on the radio. So what do people have to uh, so here's master about this idea that there's no longer the ivory right. tower of publishing? You have got to become a proactive promoter of your own work, which means you have got to learn about the media even before you try to sell your manuscript to the publishers because they're only going to want to buy it from you if they think you'll be an effective promoter of your work. And they have that magic word, platform. Right. Hey, buddy, what's your platform? Right on. And and a platform is basically the fact that you can command the media or that you have an audience of people who want to hear your message. So if authors think, well, I'll write the divine manuscript first and then later on learn how to promote it, guess what? You've got to revamp your thinking there. No. You've got to walk into the pitch meeting with a publisher, showing them that you do have that platform, mm-hmm. that you do have that forum, or at least that you have the inclination to go out there and promote yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very different from the way it used to be before. It used to be you could write a great book, and it would kind of kick off on its own. Now the media is the name of the game. So that's one thing you need to know how to do. The other thing is, still on the front of authors, You have got to bear the media mentality in mind when you're writing the manuscript. Here's a really fascinating thing. Early in the ballgame, publishers sent authors to our seminars when they were ready to go out on tour. 
Then a weird thing started to happen with the uh, Chicken Soup publisher, by the way, but for non-Chicken Soup books. They started to send authors to us before their manuscripts were even finished. Mm -hmm. And we actually called up the publisher, HCI, and said, "Uh, is this a mistake? And they said, no. Having seen what you do in the seminar, we want our authors to go to you twice, not only when they're about to go out on tour, but when they're writing the manuscript, because they'll write a better book if they can think in terms of being mediagenic. Mm. So at every level, you've got to think like a promoter. If you're in some other area, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. If you want to attract a Walmart, and I've consulted to Walmart and Target and a number of other Fortune 100 companies, mm-hmm. you have really be able, be, you've got to be able to go in there and give them the story in two or three minutes. Then if they want you to hang around for a half an hour or an hour, the fact that you delivered a great opening will be the key to that. It's getting, it's basically being able to get the foot in the door. We, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find that once you get the foot in the door, once you have this mindset that you go to, whether you're beginning the manuscript or once you have the manuscript, what's the next step? Well, if you're going to pitch, you know, again, on the author front, if you want to pitch publishers, you've got to walk in there. Uh, I've known a lot of people who play some major books without an agent. Did you have an agent when you were doing your book? No. So there you go. You're yeah. an example of it. You don't. You don't need an agent. You don't. You don't need a, a New York publisher. We have. Uh, I have a. I actually have a publishing company, mm-hmm. and we published another author by the name of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and we were. We had the audiobook uh, rights to, the, and then at Random House, a, a small New York publisher, had the uh, print books. The people who were doing publicity in New York didn't know how to do it couldn't do it Mm -hmm. and just it's the sheer fortitude that i have discovered if you just really believe in your project and articulate it it doesn't matter if you have a fancy new york phone number 212 area code it's the passion that really resonates with the producers i really want to absolutely echo that yeah you know look i come from prime time in the radio capital of planet earth and I can tell you the fact that somebody was published by one of the major New York publishers meant nothing to us particularly. Right. If they had a great idea, they had a great idea. If they knew the difference between a hook and their message, we were more likely to listen. If they knew how to broaden the demographics to involve our total audience, we were more likely to listen. If they knew how to tie into the news, some of the things that we teach, we were ready to go. Greg Godek, who wrote A Thousand and One Ways to Be Romantic, was self-published for a long, long time, made a ton of money. Right. So I think he sold a million books. Yeah. Yeah. It's or at least a million dollars worth. A million dollars worth of books. We're about out of time, but I wanted to let folks know about this workshop Friday and Saturday, July 7th and 8th. Uh, the phone number is 579-6414 if you want to find out a little bit more about it. Yeah, that's the phone number. Uh, the producer here on Maui is a guy named Michael Ebling, wonderful guy who has done great work with authors and other entrepreneurs. And he's uh, reachable at 579-6414. The Excellence in Media Seminar is at the Maui Coast Hotel. In Kihei. In Kihei on this coming Friday, July 7th and 8th. Friday and Saturday, July 7th and 8th. Joel Roberts, thank you for being with us. We have been speaking with Joel Roberts and in our first half hour, Stephen Bodian. Uh, Stephen's having a workshop this weekend as well at Unity on Maui. For, for more information on that, contact us at the church. And remember to come by Sunday to see Ram Das at 1030 at the Maui Beach Hotel. I'm James Jacobson. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend.